0: Welcome to the Lighthouse Community Podcast. Thank you for joining us today. We hope today's teaching will encourage you in your faith and help you develop an increasing desire to walk with God. Let's listen in. In Joshua chapter 2, there is the account of um, God keeping his promise to the nation of Israel. And so let me give you a quick backstory on what's going on there, is that literally hundreds of years prior to, God had promised to the nation of Israel that he would give them a land of their own. And he kept referring to it as the promised land, and so did the people of Israel. And so now Israel is right there on the edge, ready to possess this land. There's one big problem there's people who are already living there. And another big problem is one of that group of people have a city known as Jericho where the walls are massive and thick and it is heavily fortified and nobody's getting in and and tearing this place down. So it's like, well, what are we going to do? So Joshua who was leading Israel at that time, he actually gets two spies. He sends them into Jericho to find out everything they can about that city to use it to their advantage. Well, while the spies were there, um, Uh, they needed a place to hang out and to hide. So the best decision young men came up with in that moment was to say, let's go hide in the house of a prostitute, right? (laughs) Uh, Just saying, all right? That's When you're young, you don't make the best of decisions in your life, but they go and they stay there and they hide. Well, word got out and the king of Jericho went, sent some people to Rahab's house. They said, hey, bring those spies out to us. And Rahab says, well, they were here, but actually they already left. If you leave now, you can probably go catch them. And so they're like, okay, hop, 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 hop. And they head on out of there and go chasing after them. Well, after those guys left and the city gates were closed for the night, Rahab goes up to the roof. Of her house because that's where she had hidden them, right? She didn't send them away. Uh, They weren't gone. They were actually hiding under some piles of flax uh, on the rooftop of her house. She goes up there and she says, listen, I know that the Lord has given this land to you. We have all heard what your God did at the Red Sea. We've all heard what your God did to the king Sion and Og and we're all afraid of you, and we're all afraid of your God, and nobody wants to fight against you. And then Rahab says, one of the most profound statements I think that she has to say in this whole encounter, it's found in Joshua chapter 2, verse 11. She says, the Lord your God, he is God in the heavens above and on the earth beneath. Right? This is what she says to them. What Rahab is doing is she's expressing her faith that she has in this God of Israel, saying, I've heard about what he's done, and I believe who he is. And then after she says that, she says to the spies, when you come back, when you come back to take over Jericho, what I'm asking is that you will remember me, and you will save me, and you will save the members of my household. And the spies said, we'll do this. As long as you don't tell the king, we will do this. But what we need you to do is tie a scarlet cord outside of your window so that we know that that's your home and whoever's in there is going to be saved, okay? And so she did that. When Israel came back to to come and fight against Jericho, they ended up conquering Jericho which was an amazing story. Um, we won't read that today, but maybe what's as amazing is that Israel kept their word to Rahab. They saved her. They saved her entire family that was with her. In fact, that's what it says in Joshua chapter 6, verse 25. It says, right after the conquering of Jericho, but Rahab the prostitute and her father's household and all who belonged to her, Joshua saved Alive, And she has lived in Israel to this day because she hid the messengers whom Joshua sent to spy out Jericho. This is her story. This is her account of what really happened in her life. And what I want to do is I want to show you how Rahab's life, at least this portion of her life that we see, reveals three principles about the kingdom of God that are very important for us to know and to understand, and then one decision that you and I can make to take a step of growth in our faith. And so uh, you're in Joshua 2 now. I'm going to ask you to find two more places in your Bible. The first one is Romans chapter 3. When you find Romans chapter 3, also find James chapter 3. Because we're going to be talking about some passages out of there. While you're going to Romans 3 and you're going to James 2, I do want to take a, wom- uh, a moment. I want to welcome you here to Lighthouse. My name is Fritz. If we haven't met yet, uh, if this is your first time with us, thank you so much for coming and being with us today. Uh, our greatest hope all week long, as we've been thinking about this Sunday, as we've been praying for this Sunday, is that everybody here would hear God speak to them very clearly through the scriptures that you would sense the Spirit speaking directly to you, uh, and and it would matter deeply for your life. And so that's my prayer for you. It's one of the reasons we're going through this series called Face to Face as we're looking at real people from the the Bible, and we're seeing how their lives intersected with God, and then what that truth means for you and I in our lives today. So before we go any further, I do want to take a moment. uh, I want to pray, and then we will jump right in. Let's pray. God, it is, um, it is really easy sometimes to, to base my worth and to base my value on, on what I do or how well I do what I'm doing. Um, I, I have a sense that I'm not alone in that, that many here uh, wrestle with that as well. And um, I, I, I just sense a need in my own life. I think I sense a need in the family of our, of our church uh, today is to just confess a few things that are true to you that you know are true, but maybe we need to be reminded. And, and, and just to know that's true is like that you're the creator, that you created us with meaning and purpose, that we are created in your image. And we are loved because of who you are, not because of anything we may do. We're not loved. Not, our value is not set on how well we perform. You have already set our value on what Christ has done and what he's accomplished. And I pray today, in this moment right now, both from a teaching standpoint, but also from a learning and an engagement standpoint, that we, we would trust you, not based on our performance, but based on your character in the work of Christ. Bring us to that place, even right now, we pray. We do ask these things through the name of Christ. Everybody said? Amen. Amen. Okay. Hey, the first kingdom true or principle that I think comes out of is very clear from Rahab's account is this is that salvation is by grace alone through faith alone. That salvation is by grace alone through faith alone. When you look at the story of Rahab, when you see that she was saved, why was she saved? Because she believed. That's it. She believed. She believed that God, the God of Israel, is the true God. She believed that he was more powerful than the gods of Jericho. She believed he was more powerful than the king of Jericho. She believed that he was more powerful and able to provide for her even more than her own career could provide for her. And so she believed in God. And that is what led to her being rescued from this moment where the whole town, the whole city was decimated. And that faith in God actually led her to believe That the spies would keep their word, like they said they would. Her faith in God, that she believed He's a true God, also led her to take the step of tying the scarlet cord outside of her window. Right? Because you gotta imagine some people are like, "Hey, Rahab, what's with that thing hanging out your window?" Oh, nothing. It's new, new, new fashion. Saw it on HDTV. Very cool. Everybody will be doing it sometime. (laughs) Probably not. Uh, Right? And so, right? But there was faith. There was faith that the scarlet cord was enough, right, to be a sign of rescue. And I love love that scarlet cord, because when I'm reading that, when I see that, for me, it takes me back to Exodus. And if you're familiar with that book, you know that Israel was in slavery to Egypt, and God rescued them out of slavery, and he did that through the Passover. Close. (laughs) Through the Passover, right? And so the Passover was this, is that If you were an Israel, or really anybody, you would sacrifice a lamb, you would bring your whole family into your house, they would stay in the house that whole night, you'd sacrifice a lamb, and then you would take the blood of the lamb and you would paint it over your doorposts. And if the scarlet blood was over the doorpost, the angel of death would pass over you and your family, and you would not experience the death of your firstborn. And so in the same way, these spies say, oh, hey, take a scarlet cord. And that will be our sign. That will be our reminder. When we go and we decimate the entire city, we'll pass over you. Right? But the other thing, not only does it draw me back to God's saving moment for Egypt in the Passover, or for Israel in the Passover, it also points me ahead to Christ. Right? Because in the same way that you needed the Passover lamb's blood to signify for death to pass over you on your doorpost, why did you even need that? Why was the Passover a thing anyways in the beginning? Because it was always pointing ahead. It was always point pointing ahead to the true Lamb of God who would sacrifice himself, whose blood would be shed, his scarlet blood. And if you are covered in the scarlet blood of the true Lamb of God, Jesus Christ, then the spirit of death passes over you, and you're set free from death, and you're set free from sin, and all of that is reality. And you see that right here in the story of Rahab. And so you have to see that Rahab's faith in God, in the person of God, and in the work of God is what saved her. And this is totally pointing ahead to what Paul writes in Romans chapter 3, verses 24 and 25, right? It says this Yet God, in his grace, freely makes us right in his sight. He did this through Christ Jesus when he freed us from the penalty for our sins. For God presented Jesus as the sacrifice for sin. Listen to this. People are made right with God when they believe when they believe that Jesus sacrificed his life, shedding his blood. This is the truth, right? This is what Rahab is living, and it's pointing ahead to the reality of Christ. And I love what verse 28 says right after that. It says this, So we are made right with God through faith and not by obeying the law. You've got to see that. People have always been made right through faith it's never come through obeying the law see a person is not saved by what they do a person is saved by who they believe in and who they trust that's that's the that's the mark right that's the delineation right there it's not about what you do it's not about what you don't do it's actually about who you trust who you rely on who you put all of your faith in and what romans 3 is talking about It's saying, listen, it's the person, it's the work of Jesus Christ and nothing else. Because you and I, we have racked up a debt through our sin. And through Jesus' life and his death, he paid in full, right? Those are the last words that Jesus says. It's translated, it is finished, but it can also be translated, the debt is paid in full. Right? Paid in full. And that's what Jesus did for us on the cross and out of the grave. And so now, it's not those who work Trying to earn a right relationship with God who receive it. It's actually those who believe in the work and person of Christ who receive as a gift a healthy relationship with God. And so you've got to see from Rahab, right? It is salvation comes by grace through faith alone and nothing else, right? That's it. Here's the second kingdom principle that comes true. And, and when you hear this, you're going to go, wait a second. That seems like totally the opposite of what you just said the first truth was, okay? So the first truth is, salvation is by grace alone through faith alone. The second truth is this, faith in Christ always shows up in actions, okay? and <laughs> Some of you guys are going, wait a second, <laughs> I just had the, the carpet pulled out from underneath me. No, here, here's what I mean by that. So how, how, and not that it matters that, you know, that we knew, but it does to a degree. How do we know that Rahab had faith in God? You can't see into her mind. You can't see into her heart. How do you know? What's well, her words and actions? Yeah, what she did, the things she said. They, they revealed her faith. Her words and her actions revealed the faith that was in her. I would even go so far as to say this. How did Rahab know that she had faith? Her words and her actions. Your words and your actions actually reveal your faith in remarkable ways, sometimes sometimes more clearly than any other thing, Right? It's like, yeah, Jesus talked about that. He said, hey, do you know, actually the actions of your life are like the fruit on a tree? when you can see the fruit on the outside, and you begin to tell what kind of tree it is. That's what Jesus said in Matthew 7. And and I know some of you know the story of Rahab really, really well. And you're going, now, wait a second. Uh, Faith in Christ always accompanied by actions. Wasn't Rahab a prostitute? Didn't Rahab lie, like, a bunch of times in that whole account? How in the world do you bring those two together? Well, there's a couple ways. The first way is you can try to do theological gymnastics and go, well, Rahab, you know, it was like wartime, and so, like, espionage and lying. Like, that's okay. So if you're in war or it's really bad, God's okay. You don't have to worry about his character. You don't have to worry about holiness. You don't have to worry about anything like that. Just he understands. Go ahead and lie, Right? That's probably not good in biblical interpretation, but there are some pastors and some theologians who will take that step because what they're trying to do is go, well, how do we reconcile Rahab lying, And yet she's also been made righteous. She's been justified by her faith. Well, I think there's a better way than trying to do those gymnastics. I think what you can simply do is this, is recognize that the Bible is clearly reporting what happened. It's just reporting what happened. At no point in Joshua 2 does it say, Rahab lied to mislead the people, go and do likewise. (laughs) You won't find that anywhere in the Bible. It's just saying, hey, Rahab knew like two things about the Lord, that he caused the Israelites to walk on dry land across the Red Sea, and he totally demolished the kings of Sihon and Og. And she knew those two things. And she said, that's the true God of the world, and I'm going to put my trust in him. Now, some of her first few steps were misguided, right? Can anybody relate to that, be it a new Christian, right? You had a couple misguided steps in your faith going, oh, God would want me to do this. And then you read the Bible later and you go, he didn't want me to do that, <laughs> right? Yeah, that's what's happening here. And I love the Bible, too, because, like later in hebrews eleven thirty one uh, Rahab is put in the Hall of Fame, right with like Abraham and Noah and Moses, and like, look at all these great people of faith, Enoch, and then it comes to Rahab, and they're like, okay, how do we tell the story of Rahab? Because she like lied, <laughs> right? And in, in Hebrews eleven thirty one it goes, you know, Rahab, who is an amazing example of faith because she had given a friendly welcome to the spies, right? That's what it says. And so they're not, nobody's advocating for lying. Nobody's encouraging you to do that. They're just saying it happened. It's real, which is a whole nother proof that salvation is by grace alone through faith alone. And you're gonna make mistakes and you're gonna misstep But if your faith, if you're clinging to Jesus, you're clinging to God every step of the way, that's the game changer. That's the game changer. Uh, If you look at James chapter 2, if you're there, right, this whole idea of faith and actions lined up, this is what James is all about. Chapter 2, verses 17 through 18 say this, so faith, so also faith by itself, if it does not have works, it's dead. But someone will say, you have faith and I have works. Show me your faith apart from your works and I will show you my faith by my works. And so what James is saying is it's impossible, right? That just, If you have genuine faith in Christ, it always makes its way out. It never hides in secret here. It just doesn't. It makes its way out in your words. It makes your way out in your actions. It makes your way out in the way that you interact with other people. It cannot hide here the transforming work of the Spirit. If it's true, if it's real, if it's legitimate, it always makes its way out into your words and into your actions, But you've got to be careful here because some people have read this verse and these ideas in the past and they've said, well, then the way to real faith is simply by doing. If I want to be saved, I have to do all the right things. And so what they've done is they put all of their weight over on religious works and doing, and they're trying to earn righteousness by what they do. That's not what James is saying here. It's not what he's saying at all. Martin Luther is very helpful. At one point, he says there's a distinction between true doers and hypocritical doers. He says the true doers are moved by the love of Christ to do what they do. They've experienced it. They're living in it. It's motivating them. It's changing them. And so true doers are motivated by the work and the love of Christ to do good works. And he says, hypocritical doers, these are people who seek to obtain righteousness By mechanical performance of good works, while their hearts are far removed from God. Do you see the distinction that's going on here? See, what Luther is saying is, true doers, people who are working, who are living, who are acting by faith, have already experienced the love of God, they're already walking in righteousness because of the work of Christ, but the hypocritical ones, they are doing in hopes that they will experience the love of God in hopes that they are accepted as righteous outside of Christ. This is what Luther's saying. This is what James would agree with him, right? If you jump forward to verse 25 of James chapter 2, he says this, And in the same way was not also Rahab the prostitute justified by works when she received the messengers and sent them out by another way? He's saying, look, her actions revealed her faith. Her faith in God is what moved her to do what she did. What I love about this passage is actually just a few passages before that. um, James starts by using Abraham as his argument. He goes, hey, Abraham, right? All the Jews know Abraham, the great father of faith, the one who received righteousness because he believed, right? He said, even Abraham, you saw his faith flowing through what he did. And so he starts with the greatest among the people of Israel, and then to make his point, he says, the great and even the meek or the lowly are all justified, are all made righteous by the same faith, and the faith is always revealed through its actions. So whether you're Abraham, the great father of faith, or whether you're the Rahab who friendly, friendly welcomed the spies, <laughs> everybody is justified by faith, and faith always gets expressed in our actions. Here's the third truth for us, the third kingdom principle today. It's this, the last will be first and the first will be last. Now, the reason I say this, one of the reasons too, I just know that the story, the account of Rahab is true is because if I was going to write a story And make one up about God doing what he's gonna do, especially in that time in that culture. I am not choosing Rahab the prostitute who lies all the way through to be the hero of the moment, right? It's not happening, right? It's just not happening. And so Rahab really is the last person to be the hero that God would use if any of us were gonna write the story. We would not come up with this on our own. She is literally the pinprick that starts Israel's journey into the promised land, right? It's Rahab. And so here you have her, She's she's introduced as a prostitute on the outskirts of the wall, right? This is not a place of prominence. This is not a place of honor. In fact, she's probably the least in her culture. She's, um, she's tolerated at best. And yet on the back end of this, and you, as you begin to read through the rest of Scripture, you see Rahab in Joshua 2, you see Rahab in Joshua 6, that she resided with the uh, Israelites from there on. Then you fast forward and you get all the way to Matthew chapter 1 and you see the genealogy of Jesus, guess who shows up in chapter 1, verse 5, as an ancestor to Jesus? Rahab. Rahab is the great, great, great grandmother of King David, right? She's in the lineage of Jesus. And so this person who's in the lowest of low in her culture and her society because of faith in God, God brings her to a place of honor Brings her a place of prominence. Hebrews 11 and James chapter 2 say, hey, you want to see an example of faith? Look at Rahab. Think about that. And we see very clearly that the last will be first. right? The principle of the kingdom in there. See, this is what Jesus said to his disciples in Matthew chapter 20, verse 16. Right? He says this. Actually, let's look at that verse. Let's read it out loud together, starting with, so the last. Are you ready? Lots of joy and enthusiasm. Let's go. So the last will be first and... Yes, good. What God is saying here, God was saying is, listen, I know how things work in the human kingdom. In the human kingdom, the first remain first. The wealthy remain wealthy. The poor remain poor. The last remain last. The dishonor remain in dishonor. But in the kingdom, for those who put their faith in Christ, there is a reversal. In the kingdom of God, for those who put their faith in Christ, the first will be last. The last will be first the foolish will confound the wise the strong will or excuse me the weak will overpower the strong right jesus even said that the prostitutes and the tax collectors will enter into the kingdom of god before the religious leaders right those who put their faith in christ as opposed to anything else this whole idea of the the last will be first and the first will be last that is the gospel in like two phrases for real It's the gospel in two phrases. Think about this. Jesus Christ, the creator of the universe, the one who sustains everything by the power of his word. Jesus Christ, the darling of heaven, enters into our world as, by all standards, a tramp. A vagrant. A vagabond. Traveling through our world based on who he was. All so that the beggars could become children. You see? The righteous one became sin, so the sinful ones could become righteous. Jesus Christ the first became the last, so that the last could become first. This is the gospel in one phrase right there. This is Rahab's story this is my story. And for those of you who are in Christ, this is your story. And for those who have not said yes to Jesus, and yet you're kind of figuring this out and seeing what all it is, it could be your story, right? So as I'm thinking about this, just being really transparent with you, this was a really challenging week to work on this message. Um, Rahab has a remarkable story. And as I'm praying, I'm asking the Lord, okay, all these things are true. And that's right. And it's like, what do we do? Like, Lord, what what would you have us to do uh, to trust you in this way? And so um, th- this is where I've landed. I'm not saying it's the best, but it's what you're getting. All right. <laughs> That's all I'm saying, okay? Here here's what here's what I think that the account of Rahab and everything that we've learned this morning, I think this is where it lands. It's gonna be very simple and it's gonna sound underwhelming. And at the same time, I I think if you really think and meditate on it it's good. You're going to go, oh, I, I, that might be right. I think that might be right. Here, here's what I think God is calling us to do out of this. Trust God to keep his word. I think that's one, one of the things that the account of Rahab invites us to do. Trust God to keep his word. That, that you and I right? Those who are in Christ, even those who are outside of Christ, and you're discovering to see if Jesus is legitimate or not, that you would simply make the decision that what God has said is true. This is what Rahab did, right? She saw how God works, she saw how God moved, and she's like, I'm believing that God, and I'm believing the people that follow that God, and so I'm going to listen to them, and I'm going to put the scarlet cord out there. I'm going to do all of those things. I'm going to trust God at to keep his word. And so for us, as the things that we've talked about, you have to trust that God is going to keep his word, that you have been saved by grace through faith in Christ alone, and there's no other way to be saved. And there's nothing to add to it. See, I don't know if you struggle with this, but, but I have deeply, and, and sometimes still today, it lingers there in my mind that I go, okay, yes, I was saved by grace, and now that I'm in Christ, I got to do lots of good things to prove to God that I do really love him and that I belong to him. And so essentially what I do is, yes, I'm saved by grace, but now I'm continuing to be saved by what I do. You ever been there? yeah. And, and what ends up happening is some people start going, well, yeah, it's grace. It's salvation by grace. But after that, it's works, man. You got to get to work. Prove it. But then you have other people who flip that and go, no, nope, you have to do the work first. You have to clean yourself up. You have to be a better person. You got to be more disciplined. And then God will accept you. Well, now we're back to what Martin Luther was talking about between true doers and hypocritical doers. And you know what he said about that. Listen, when when you're battling this whole idea of saved by grace, saved by works, sanctified by grace, sanctified by works, spiritual growth by grace, spiritual growth by works, I think the remedy to that, in all seriousness, is to think deeply on the gospel. You know what the gospel is? The gospel is grace and works. But it's not yours. The gospel is the grace of God because of the work of God. And what position does that put me in? A receiver. That's it. That, that's it. There's nothing else. I'm just a, I just receive it. God did all the work. God gives me the grace and the invitation. You know what Jesus said? People said, hey, Jesus, we want to do the work of God too. What do we need to do? John chapter 6, verse 29, Jesus said, the work of God for you to do, believe in the one in whom he sent. That's it. Believe, rely, trust, put all your weight on Christ. And if you think that's easy, try it for a day, just a day, one day, try it for one whole day, and you tell me if it wasn't the most exciting, anxiety-ridden, peaceful, joyful, crazy day you've ever had in your life, right? And so invite the gospel to motivate your actions, The the words that you say, the things that you do, in fact, if you take Jesus' word seriously, that the work of God is to believe in the one in whom you sent, you will actually see for the first time with amazing clarity that if you don't have the Holy Spirit in you, empowering you of every moment, you can't do it. You can't do it. It's impossible. So you trust God to keep his word. Also with lines that, that, to, that the first will be last and the last will be first is actually the best way to live. The idea that the first will be last and the last will be first. To keep God at his word that that really is the best way to live. And if you think about what that really means, if it doesn't just scrape and chafe against the depth of your soul, and I'm not trying to be mean or rude, then you don't understand what that phrase means. That the first will be last and the last will be first. Just saying that, in some degree, is like nails on a chalkboard for me. I'm just, being, I'm just being straight with you. And, and what God has been dealing with me on for probably about the last five weeks now is he just keeps taking me back again and again to Philippians chapter 2, verses 5 through 11, which is this amazing passage of Scripture. And the whole point in that Scripture is that Jesus, the greatest person of all time, emptied himself of his greatness and came in the form of a human being. This idea of emptying. I'm really good at filling myself with me and thinking about me and making me a priority and focusing on what I need and what I want and the things that are most beneficial to me. And if I can help you get what you want in the process of getting what I want, then that aligns. (laughs) But if not, you're probably going to have to take a side seat. But that's not how Jesus was. That's not how he is. He emptied himself, he emptied himself, constantly emptying, right? And so it's like intentionally placing myself in a position of humility and servanthood towards others. That is the best way to live. It's, it's trusting that God's word is true. That, see, it gets real. It gets beyond kind of this theological, you know, thing, and you begin to see that it actually it's real. You know, just this week I had a battle between this very thing of emptying myself. I can share this story because she's not in the room. Um, but uh, so my wife, Christina, and I, we were, uh, we were out of sync uh, the earlier part of this week. Um, you know, just we weren't—we weren't like fighting or anything like that. It was just it was just weird. Um, we we're, we were kind of distant. We're quiet. Um, we're not connecting like we were. I think we ended up figuring out it was her fault. But that's that's not important. It's not important. Um, don't don't please don't say that to her. Um, but we're getting more quiet. We're getting more distant. I'm getting like angrier that we're distant, and and it's like, well, she should, and why hasn't she? And I don't understand. And so, like, the bitterness is beginning to grow. And and it's like, well, if she's not gonna, then I'm not gonna. And so I'm just, you know, Lord, you know, you know her. It's your daughter. And um, so Tuesday morning, I'm I'm working on this sermon. I'm studying through the life of Rahab, and the Holy Spirit. Right, I'm like preparing a sermon for you and the Holy Spirit's like, well, let's use this in your life. I was like, no, no, this isn't about me, Lord. This is about the church. Um, and so, so I'm reading it, and I, again, I, I come to this place that Rahab, she, she knew just a tiny bit about who God was. She knew that God could cause the Israelites to walk on dry land across the sea, and she knew that God had the power to overthrow these very powerful kings that were in the region. That's it. That's all she knew. And she acted based on what she knew about God, even that little bit. And our faith was based on the character of God on that. And so I'm sitting there, and I sense the Holy Spirit say, okay, what do you think I would lead you to do based on the character of the Father? I'm going, okay, well, what I know about God, I know that God is righteous. I know that God is a reconciler. I know that God is the one who always moves first. I know that God grants forgiveness freely even when he shouldn't. Right, so I'm like working through all this stuff, and I'm thinking about it, and I'm just going, "Lord, I don't know what any of this has to do with me. This is not my, you know, this is not my situation. Um, you should be telling this, Christina. Um, so, but but I'm thinking about this. And I'm going, okay, man. Okay, based on God's character, what would I do? Well, I would probably humble myself. I would probably move physically close to my wife and I would do whatever it took to reconcile whatever this out-of-syncness and this weirdness is. And and you know what's wild? As I'm thinking through this, and and I'm I'm going, okay, how am I going to do this? How am I going to walk in the house? What's it going to look like? All that kind of stuff. You it didn't bother me to like reconcile a relationship. It didn't bother me to go get close to her and start that conversation. You know what actually was the biggest hurdle and the thing that I wrestled with and the thing that I argued the longest amount of time on the patio during that time? It was the humbling myself. It was the humbling myself. The emptying me of myself. Because I'm arguing. I'm explaining to God where I didn't do anything wrong. I'm a good guy. You know, Lord, you made me, right? Like I'm, I'm thinking about all of these things and I'm explaining to the Lord, right? I shouldn't have to. I, you know, all of this kinds of stuff. And, and it was actually, it was just the humbling part that took the most amount of work, the most amount of faith to say that if I just, if my goal is simply to serve my God and simply to serve my wife, then it does not matter anything else. And so I confessed all of that to the Lord I got up from the table. I went to Christina. I asked her for forgiveness. We reconciled, and and it, and it was just over, right? It was just done. It's like why? Why in the world did I wait so long? I mean, it was like a couple days. Why did I let that thing fester so long? That's stupid. That's how sneaky sin is. It's how sneaky pride is. It's how sneaky things like legalism will break into your life. You don't even realize it. Right? It's crazy. And I've thought back on this, like, okay, really, how how did God lead me to find freedom in that moment? And you know what it was? It was just reflecting on his character. Who is my father? Who has he revealed himself through the scriptures? And that was it. And, and so I would just invite you. I mean, we're, we're all battling through things. We're all thinking about things. We're all wrestling with things. And, and I think it's not that you need to go find like a new bumper sticker verse, and it's not that you need to go find some new discipline. It's not that it's actually you, all you need to do is go read the scriptures and ask one question What does this say about who God is? What does this reveal about, reveal about his character? And just meditate on that, even the commands right? The commands that say, forgive your enemy, pray for those who persecute you, right? If your right hand causes you to sin, cut it off, right? All those types of things. Even in those commands, the character of God rings true. And I would start there before you ask the question, what should I do? Before you read a verse and you say, what should I do? Read a verse and go, what does it say about God? Again and again and again and again. And I think that's how you move away from a hypocritical doing and you cross over into a true doing. Discover who God is and then trust him to keep his word. I want to invite you to bow your heads and close your eyes and ask, ask this one question. I'm going to change it. We ask it every week, but I'm going to change it just a hair today. And the question is this, Jesus, what are you saying to me about who you are through this message? Jesus, what are you saying to me about who you are through this message? And then I just want you to listen to him for a moment. God being transparent before our church family my, I I assume I'm not the only one trusting you can be very risky. And yet, every time I have, and, and my guess is that the people in this room would be able to say the same thing. Every time we have, you've never let us down even when we've walked through dark valleys of life, you've been there. When we faced the most challenging seasons, we never thought we would make it through. You have been there. And I just wonder if today would be a day that would be a crossing moment for this church family, for me, for each one of us as individuals, where we go, yeah, like I'm, I'm, I'm done kind of fingers in the kingdom, feet in the world. I'm all in. I don't know what all that means. I don't know what all that looks like. I don't know all that God has planned, but if he's in it, I'm in. Could you, Holy Spirit, could you lead us to that place in our lives as a church family to trust you at your word? to know that you are a God who is powerful and good and wise and can be trusted in every single situation. I pray for that in my life. I pray that for that in the life of my church family here. I'm going to ask some of you to take a risk right now. We've got prayer leaders who are uh, I'm going to ask those leaders if they will actually start making ways to the corners of the room. One of the things we love doing at Lighthouse is praying for one another. And so at the end of each service, we have prayer leaders who are just available to pray with you about any area of your life at all. So uh, if you'd start making your way to those corners so people know that you're ready to receive them in prayer. What I'm going to ask you to do this morning is if you have any any need any prayer request at all. could be about what we've talked about today. could be about something completely different. What I'm going to invite you to do is when the band comes and leads us in one more song, I'm going to invite you to step out of your seat, come down the aisle, go to one of the corners, and just ask that person to pray for you. And these people have been trained. They've been prepared. They know how to pray for you. And so, yeah, it's a little bit risky. And yet when God shows up, it's amazing. And it's really, really good. And so if you're here in the house, I'm going to ask you to stand as we prepare for worship together. And then I'm going to invite you to come and pray as well. Holy Spirit, I pray that you would draw every single person who needs prayer right now. In Jesus' name, amen. Thanks for joining us. If you'd like to learn more about Lighthouse Community, check out our website at mylighthousecommunity.com or connect with us on Facebook. You're invited to join us live Sunday mornings at 909 or 1111. Thanks again for listening to the Lighthouse Community Podcast.